This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Census Bureau's Opportunity Project puts federal data to work, pairing agencies up with tech teams from the private sector to create digital projects that benefit the public. This year's sprints focused on addressing COVID-19, and next year's project will look at post-pandemic recovery. The Bureau is also working with five agencies to run these types of data sprints on their own. For more on the pandemic sprints and next steps, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the director of the Opportunity Project, Director Drew Zachary. In 2020, as the pandemic was unfolding, we had already launched our Earth sprints that focused on the natural environment and the built environment, really big kind of climate and social challenges. And even in spite of the pandemic, people really showed up to address those problems. But of course, as the year went on, the Census Bureau launched things like the Pulse Surveys. We partnered with the American Statistical Association on a challenge related to COVID-19 data. So, of course, you know, it was very top of mind. As we started to talk with the Department of Health and Human Services, which has been such an important stakeholder of top over the years, and we finally had a moment with them to work on really a software sort of data-driven tools type of challenge, which is, of course, the sweet spot of the Opportunity Project. And so it all kind of came together that at the beginning of this year, 2021, we launched that first very unique first-of-its-kind sprint with the Department of Health and Human Services and FDA, in particular around COVID-19 diagnostic test data. So that was our first effort this year. The results were just showcased this past month in May. And then at the same time, we were also working on trying to sort of push the conversation forward, which is really where Census and the Opportunity Project have started to gravitate. You know, how can we advance conversations like these? And so we took it a step further and said our theme for the whole year is going to be the world post-COVID and thinking about that sort of long-term economic recovery, how our social systems and economy may be forever changed even as we move beyond the pandemic, how our climate trajectory may be changed. And that's really the sprint that we'll be launching over the next few months. We'll focus on that broad topic. So that's sort of how it's all come together. I think the last time we spoke on this, We had heard a little bit about how the Bureau is now giving agencies these toolkits to take on a lot of this work on their own. Flash forward to now, what kind of progress are agencies making and taking this concept and making it their own? It's really exciting to see it all take place. Last year, the toolkit, you know, was not even fully launched yet, the TopX toolkit. And it really, after almost five years of the Opportunity Project, we really came to a point where we weren't tweaking it that much anymore. Over the first five years, we made these huge changes to the program and and kind of continuous improvements year after year. Last year was really the time that we realized that we had kind of incubated it to maturity. And now this is ready to fully scale all across government and also really noticing that the benefits to agencies of participating in this process are really about the process itself and what that teaches you about agile methodology and lightweight collaboration with stakeholders outside of government, sort of open government and human-centered processes in general. So we wanted to, you know, not just continue to do sprints, but really help agencies learn this method so that they could apply it at will. It was an experiment. Certainly last year we piloted that with the State Department's Office of Foreign Assistance. 
and more of a do-it-yourself model with great outcomes. And then this year has really been the test of does that scale. So we were thrilled with the results of the HHS Top X COVID sprint that we showcased in May with a dozen new tools coming out of that process focused on enabling COVID-19 diagnostic test data. And now we are sort of scaling it even further to five agencies, some that have participated before, some that are new to top, will be running their own top sprints in more of a do-it-yourself model. So things that previously the Census Bureau has been in the driver's seat for will really be empowering these agencies to run that themselves and really benefit from learning this whole process with support from our teams. The five agencies that you guys will be working with on this, do you know those offhand? Yes, I have them right in front of me. So they are at Commerce, two of our sister bureaus. So the Minority Business Development Administration, MBDA, NOAA, and outside of commerce, we'll be working with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, with HUD. Again, HUD has been an awesome collaborator over the last few years, and with Treasury, who also is one of our earliest partners. And then we're excited to share that a couple of local governments will also be sponsoring challenges. And the one that I can tell you about right now is New York City. The Office of New York's Chief Technology Officer will be hosting a problem statement as well. So this whole concept is really building momentum and catching fire in a lot of agencies here. That's pretty cool. What are ultimately kind of the benefits of agencies participating in this program? On the flip side of things here, what are the benefits of these private sector teams participating as well? So we really see more benefits to agencies than I think we ever imagined with this process that was initially really about the tools that come out of the sprints. But now that we've seen so many agencies come through the process, we see them sort of come in. Many agencies, I think, are becoming more familiar with the tech sprint model. And I think the Opportunity Project was really one of the first programs to bring that tech sprint concept into government. So now we'll see an agency like CFPB um, who has run similar sprints that were even based on the Opportunity Project. So they're becoming more familiar with this concept, sort of an evolution of the hackathon. But we still see a lot of agencies come in who are very foreign to this way of working and think of the private sector as vendors or, you know, the main way to have a, a working relationship is through a contract or something like that that's more conventional. And as they go through this process, we really see them benefit so much from the idea that we can work together across sectors in a very lightweight, constructive way. If we're all trying to solve the same problem, we can talk regularly and exchange ideas and through our 12-week sprint process that's broken down into two-week increments, agencies learn about agile development and the idea of iterating, the idea of not knowing exactly what you're going to build when you start and the fact that that can be a positive thing because it enables so many more diverse ideas to come forward and really better ideas than if we had to decide what we were doing from day one before we even went out and talked to stakeholders. So we see them learning about that process, about the idea of human-centered design, of how we develop solutions for the public, but also human-centered design in the way that we operate as government agencies and thinking of anyone that we're having a touch point with as a customer and someone whose experience we want to be positive and constructive. So through all of that, it's sort of this transformation process that we see unfold um, as the agencies go through a sprint. And then, you know, it's always 
very encouraging when they're so enthusiastic to come back and work with us again. And now we have these agencies like Treasury and HUD who have worked with us in three or four sprints before and are still coming back and really starting to institutionalize this way of working within their agencies. That's Drew Zachary, director of the Census Bureau's Opportunity Project, talking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. You can find his interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is to sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on, those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a little school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. 
And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, 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 the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a Secretary of Commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees 
And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor, we call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second. Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.